Well, have you ever wondered why uh, one of the most wonderful times of the year, Christmas time, is so busy, so stress-filled, so filled with stuff? You, you got the shopping, you got the travel arrangements, you got the family, you got the family quarrels, the family squabbles. The holidays are filled with so much activity, and, and so much of it is good intention. M- mind you on that. I mean, it's, it's, it's good, good intention things. But if we let it, it can cause us to get real stress, can it? Really, it can cause us to get red with stretch. And I, and I started talking about this last week, where we said the colors of Christmas can really begin to color us. Green with envy, red with stress is what we're going to be talking about here today. Next week, blue with emotion, maybe of unmet Christmas expectations, and then, and then the white Christmas. And I think we often reflect upon the stressful and uh, commercialized Christmas, uh, how it has become so commercialized today. But I got to be honest with you, when I read scripture, um, it's not that much difference There's not that much difference between what it is now today and what it was like for the first Christmas. I mean, we might have this picture kind of in our mind's eye of something different in this plastic kind of scene, tranquil kind of scene that we might have. But um, it was a very harried time. In fact, if you were here last week, you'll remember in Matthew, we read the account that it says that Matthew recorded about Herod and how he was troubled And all of Jerusalem was troubled with Herod because he was so troubled about this king that was coming. Luke's account in Luke chapter 2, which I'm going to invite you to turn to, Luke chapter 2, is not any less stress-filled. Luke's account has some of the same things going on in a political realm, in a society type of realm. We see a number of things. In fact, in the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2, we see these uh, burdensome rules that are imposed by these power-hungry leaders upon the people. We see this upheaval of all the families that they have to go because a census is being taken. We see family travel and relational discord taking place, and, and there's no hotel. Think about this. There were no hotel reservations that they could be making, right? I mean, Motel 6 and Tom Bodet did not have the light on for them. You couldn't go, you know, find Travelocity, the, you know, what, Bethlehem bed and breakfast sort of thing. There, there was none of that going on. And so Mary and Joseph had to pick up and go. You don't think that causes some strife? You don't think that causes some stress? You don't think that caused upheaval the very first Christmas? Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, reads like this. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. Now, you remember this was the son of Caesar, what we talked about last week. Uh, The father tried to unite the kingdom, wasn't able to. I said he was inventing salad in some way, in some form. Uh, But this is Caesar Augustus, okay? This is his son. That was a joke about the salad, by the way, so don't go (laughs) repeating that. Okay. This was the first registration while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Think about just what that would entail. If you had to go back to the place where you were born to be counted, to be registered for the census. That's what the people had to pick up and go do. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, 
to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house in the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. And that simply was meaning there uh, a legally pledged to be married person. And so it was more than just an engagement, but there was actually a legal uh, pledging that was already a kind of a union that was gathered between the two of them. And she was with child. Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. I think when we hear this reading, and so often we hear it at Christmas time, it, it kind of ends with this sweet, nostalgic scene. With, with Mary and Joseph kind of beside the manger, maybe even in our minds we have the sense that the cattle are lowing, and Jesus, the little baby, is wrapped up in these white swaddling cloths. Uh, maybe he's even cooing a little bit. Maybe the star up above is kind of entering into the stable, kind of magnifying and glorifying the child that has just been born here we kind of maybe in our minds have this tranquil placid kind of mindset that that we think about but this this was a stress-filled endeavor I mean you think about just what it took for them to travel the place that they went to Um, I I just pulled a picture off the internet that kind of maybe in our minds that we think of when we think of Mary and Joseph traveling. Now, we don't know if they were on a donkey. Scripture does not say that. We just commonly kind of think that. It's what maybe we picture the most. But um, do you know what this kind of the shawl here was? We often see Mary with those and women in that day who would wear these shawls. It was um, commonly known that when women traveled, they would travel with these shawls that... um, were used for a second purpose if they died in travel. Because many times this was, this was not just a given, that you would travel 100 miles down the road and you would be fine. But when people died in travel, they would be um, wrapped with these, buried with these kind of these death shawls is what they were called. And so that's why Mary had this and was, was probably traveling with one, that if she died in travel, she could be wrapped up in that and then would be buried. I mean, think about what this meant for, uh, for her and Joseph to be traveling. Um, we're going to put a map up here in just a second here about this 100-mile journey that went from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Now, when we think of 100 miles, we think of, well, you know, I'll be there in an hour and a half, two hours if I go slow, get in the car and go. That's not the case at all, so please hear this. I mean, this was treacherous uh, terrain. This was up steep hills and down into valleys that they were traveling. They were having to go from Nazareth in the north down to Bethlehem. They were doing this when Mary was nine months pregnant. This was a major, major undertaking, and they did it in about six days' time, was the best guesstimate, to have the census be taken. And so day one would be to going from Nazareth and was going a little bit east um, uh, towards the Sea of Galilee in that region, Galilee in that region, because you didn't want to just go straight down because this was Samaria in this area, and good Jews don't mix with the Samaritans. 
They, they don't want to be anywhere near each other. They were mortal enemies of one another. And so they wouldn't come close to them. Uh, and so they would take about a day to go this way. And then there was about two days that it took to go down the 60 miles here in the River Jordan Valley that they would be traveling. And once they got to there, they would come to this area and cross this region, which this is Jericho. Um, when we hear the story of Jesus talking about the Good Samaritan, this is the area that the... Uh, um, person was jumped in that story um, because it was commonly known that uh, robbers were along those roads trying to rob people of the things that they had. Uh, in that kind of wilderness there was also lions and vipers and scorpions and these bandits um, that were also taking place in there. Then the trek would be made over to Jerusalem where it was assumed that Mary and Joseph probably went there, um, did the ceremonial washing, um, and also brought in two turtle doves to sacrifice uh, at the at the. Um, uh, temple. Um, they were people of low means, and so turtle doves were associated with them to do that. And then they would head south to the area of Bethlehem, and that trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem was a much shorter trip that they did that. But when they get, obviously, to Bethlehem, uh, there's no room, um, no room at the end, and so they're just in a stable out back behind what we would assume is an inn. I mean, this was not an easy travel that they made. And this was done while Mary was nine months pregnant. Women, I do not know how you carry someone for nine months the way you do. And thinking about traveling like that. I, I mean, think about this. Women, I'm glad it's up to you because men, if we were to, to be doing that, there'd be no more babies, would there? No more. Just done. Right? population of the world would, would just be zero after time because we wouldn't be giving birth like that. But Mary does this and she makes it and she comes to that place. Now during that trip, go ahead and show that next picture there. Again, we had this kind of this death shawl that she is wearing. And again, let me tell you what is commonly thought was the swaddling clothes that Jesus was wrapped in. Many people believe that those swaddling clothes was the death shawl that Mary wore as she traveled. And you think about the foreshadowing of what that is. That Jesus, who came to die for us, uses his first clothing there as a death shell. Jesus, who came to live and to be alive for us, to die and then rise again. The foreshadowing is amazing. To think about how he may have been wrapped in that death shell, the very first clothing that he ever had. This was a busy, hectic, frantic time in the day and age that Mary and Joseph were living in. And could it be, as we transfer this over to 2013, nearly 2014, could it be that we still keep that tradition? That maybe even Satan does all he can to keep that in our forefront, to keep the hectic, busy times that we have. Because if we truly stopped and dwelt upon what it really means, the birth of Jesus, that would change everything, wouldn't it? I mean, to think about how God emptied himself from above. The God of this entire universe empties himself into a small child to take on skin, cells, embryo to form, now be born and to be in this stable. When we think about the miracle of that, that has to change how we do life. 
And yet if we just kind of brush it aside because so many other good things are going on, if we just kind of brush it aside because the busyness that we have here in life, and especially at this Christmas season, won't that cause us maybe just to even just kind of skip right over that? We think about all the stress and the busyness and the gifts and the people and the family strife that we have. And then we think about God born as a baby. And as that baby is born, the gentle, quiet child, God coming to be born on. We think about the stress, we think about the family, we think about the food, we think about the figgy pudding, we think about all this other stuff going on over here, but we think about the worship of the God of the universe now in flesh. We think about what that means. Think about how that will impact our lives. I think, I think Satan loves nothing more to get us so busy, to get us so hectic, to get us so unfocused and what that means for us living our lives in just kind of this blah state. My son uh, was sick on Saturday night, or yes, all day yesterday, actually became sick on Friday night. And as he uh, became sick, um, he just kind of had the blahs going on. He, he just kind of uh, was not feeling well. And, you know, I, I kind of compare that sometimes to what happens to us as Christians when uh, we get busy, when we get stressed, when we get, get kind of burnt out. Many times we don't function as we can. We don't function in a way that is supposed to God intend for us to live. And we just kind of live with this, this sense of this low-grade fever or maybe even this head cold that we can have. And we just kind of get through life. That's what I hope we're not going to enter into this Christmas season with. This Christmas season, I hope you will go through and see the wonder and the amazement of what it means for God to be born a child. Instead of what the world wants to give to us and all the business and all the hectic race of life. To slow down and think, God, thank you for coming like that. Satan loves nothing more than to get us wrapped up in all these other things at Christmas time and to forget what the birth really and truly means. Isn't it odd that Jesus came so that we didn't have to live with stress? so that we didn't have to live with disarray, so we didn't have to live with all the world's pressures that can be put upon us. But it's a state of mind that so often we get into when we forget to contemplate on what that truly means. You know, again, that was the first Christmas. There was so much going on in that time. But Mary and Joseph pull aside. And Mary and Joseph know that something has changed. Something is different. You know, we um, talk a lot about the first coming of Jesus at Christmas time. There's a passage of scripture that I think will really relate to us today, and it addresses a little bit about the second coming of Jesus. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, I think, helps us deal a little bit with. Um, the red with stress feelings that we have at this Christmas time. 
And you might hear the world kind of talk about, hey, here's how you deal with it. You know, here's the plan. Here's some books. Here's some techniques. It's not about a plan. It's not about a, a, a program. It's not about some philosophy of, 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 of time management that really gets us through all this red with stress times. Let me go to Matthew chapter 11. Because Jesus is, is speaking about some of his second coming and what's going to take place there. But Jesus says, you know, I don't want you to live like you're maybe living. Look at verse um, 28 through 30. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30 says it like this. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what's the word there? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is, what's the word there? My burden is, my burden is light. I'm going to camp out just a little bit on this passage here as we see what what Jesus is talking about. And, And what I want you to really remember here, if there's nothing else you walk away with, is that to deal with stress, to deal with the things that this world puts upon us, Jesus wants us to go straight to him. See what it says there in verse 28? It says, come to who? Come to Come to me, doesn't it? It's to focus upon Jesus, especially at this Christmas time, to focus upon the Christ child. And, and, we're, and we're, not, we're not just talking about a, a Christmas rest. We're talking about a soul rest. A rest from worry, a rest from stress, a rest from fear, a rest from guilt, a rest from anxiety, a rest from bitterness. And to know that, again, it's not about these other things that we can do. It's not some technique that we do. It's not some principle. It's not some plan. It's not some philosophy. It's not some program. But it's about a person. Jesus says, come to me. He doesn't say, come to my church, even. And church is a good thing. He doesn't say go to church to find rest. He doesn't say go to your pastor. And your pastor's a good thing. I hope your pastor's a good thing. Your pastor's a good thing, right? He doesn't say go to that. He doesn't even say go to your community group. Go to your class. He says come to who? Come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Let's not forget that. That Satan is trying to get all of our attention off of this Christ child. Satan is trying to get all of our attention off of Jesus at the time and the miracle that has happened and the stress and everything he wants to go on in your lives. To throttle that back and to say, God, the true meaning of Christmas is to focus upon you and what that means. I mean, we look at the scriptures and the scriptures reveal Jesus to us. We, we, we go to church and church is a good thing, but church isn't perfect. In fact, when you find a perfect church, don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore, all right? Let me just be honest about that, okay? Okay? Churches are run by imperfect people, by imperfect leaders. But Jesus is our model of perfection. That's who he's saying to turn to. So here's my question. My question is this. To who or to what do you normally turn to when everyday stresses build up? Now, if you're thinking of that answer, I know what you're probably saying. You're probably saying Jesus, right? I mean, we're in church, right? I, I mean, when I went to Sunday school class, I quickly learned when I was the age of five that if I answered Jesus or prayer for any question, I'd get at least 75% of the answers right, okay? Right? And so some of you are thinking, well, it's Jesus, right? It's Jesus. 
Yes. But do you? Do you truly go to him when you feel those kind of stresses in life? I would tend to think not. I would tend to think that most of us probably turn to food or return to television. You know, prop our feet up and just kind of relax and kind of just watch television and what that's going to kind of relax us. Or maybe we turn to a drink, or maybe we turn to a smoke, or maybe we turn to some sort of a pill, or maybe we turn to watching some sort of a video, or maybe going out and making a purchase, or those kinds of other things. The pastor's starting to meddling now, isn't he? Yeah, I'm getting there. We, we, we turn to these other things, and we don't truly turn to Jesus in those moments. A few uh, summers ago, uh, we were going through um, Daniel with our crosswalk congregation, and I thought, you know what? Daniel did all that he can not to be corrupted by his culture and society, and I thought it would be good to um, do like Daniel and just to kind of put the culture away, and so I made a pledge to my wife. I said, you know what? I'm going to watch television um, uh, uh, for about a month. And many times at nighttime, I'll just kind of watch the end of the sports news or I'll watch the end of the sports center or I'll watch the, the news kind of, and it just kind of relaxes me and those kinds of things. And I said, I made a commitment. I, I wasn't going to do that. And I was just going to go to bed without doing that, kind of relax myself in another way. I'll tell you what, I, those were the most restless sleep that I had had for a couple of weeks. In fact, my wife kicked me out of bed. She was like, go, you're tossing, you're turning. I would wake up more tired than when I went to bed. It was telling me that I wasn't turning to Jesus. I was turning to other things to relax me. I was turning to other things to deal with the stresses that were going throughout the day. I mean, it's very enlightening to me as to maybe how we do that and think for yourself because you can operate in that way. You, you can get by in those ways, but that's on human power. You think about the supernatural power, though, that God has given to you where he is saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. And I think, I think Jesus is stressing come to me because Jesus, think about this for just a second. This is what Christmas time truly is. Jesus has done everything to come to you. He took the first billion steps to come to you. But he leaves the last one up to you. He took the first billion steps to come into your life. But he leaves the last step up to you. For you to take that step to be in a relationship with him. And I think we miss that. I, I, think, I, think, I, I think we have good intentions that we know that. We know that that's why God came. We know that that's what Christmas is about. But it just kind of gets covered over with other things. Like, you know what? One of the thing, things that I think kept Jesus on track Luke chapter 19, verse 10, is really the mission statement that Jesus had. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save, that was what? That which was lost. He came to save and seek that which was lost. And if there were things that were coming up into his schedule, if people had things for him to do, if they had pulling at him and tugging off him, trying to get him to do things, I think he evaluated up to that and said, is this helping me to seek and save the lost? I mean, at this Christmas time, if you could just kind of put a little mission statement of your own, saying, what am I going to do? How am I going to function? What do I need? I hope that you put margin into your days these next couple of weeks.
You know what margin is? Margin is an area that you can kind of go one way or another. You can be ready for people when they need your help. You can be ready to relax. You can be ready to focus upon what God is doing in your life and not be so stressed out and not be so hectic when other emergencies come up. We have one of our deacons here in the church. John Scholes, who helps out so immensely with, with people in our church and helping with projects when they need to come up. And I heard him, I was blessed by this at our Dakinet meeting this last week, for he said, um, you know, I just want to live life at a little different pace so that when things come up and when people need help, I can step up and help. One of our pastors was praying for someone at the hospital uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he just said, you know, if there's anything that we can do for you as a church, you let us know. Well, the couple did. They let us know. They said that um, we have our roof that's kind of leaking above our bed. Kind of a significant thing, right? It was leaking above the bed, and so they said, uh, yeah, that's taken an issue in our home. Can you help us out? Because the husband is still in the ICU unit. We called John and said, John, can you help out with this? John said, absolutely. Within that end of that week, he had two people there to help repair that place. That, that's an example of someone who's saying, you know what? I want to help. I want to serve. I want to bring Jesus to this community. I want to be blessing to people. I've been blessed. I want to bless others in what I do. But you can't do that when you're racing all over the place and when your life is so jam-packed with things that you don't have time to stop and pause and to help those who maybe need to be helped. In fact, in Scripture... You tell me if I'm wrong on this. You find a place, let me know. I never see Jesus in a hurry. He just seems to always have time to be with people. He always has time to mix and gather and talk and share. In fact, one time when his good friend, one of his best friends was dying, people come and say, geez, you got to go. You got to help Lazarus. Help him out. Jesus takes two more days. He just kind of camps out. He's doing some other things. And then he gets on his way to go help the family. And Jesus was just never stressed. I think we need to take an example from him and back it and throttle it down a little bit and say, okay, God, what do you call us to do? My prayer at this Christmas time is that we take the lead from Jesus. And remember that he calls us, our purpose, to know Jesus and to make him known. And so at this Christmas time, what do you need to do to know Jesus? And focus on that. What do you need to do to make Jesus known in your sphere of influence. Because honestly, if you don't have a plan, Satan's got a plan for you. And it will be getting you busy. It will be getting you hectic. It will be getting you focused, not on this, but on all these things over here. In fact, let me, uh, let me read you a little article I had found. It's a, kind of a fictional account of Satan's plan for your life. He's got a plan for your life. Let me tell you what's going, what's happening right now. Kind of fictional account, but I think it'll bring it home to us. It's called Satan's Meeting. It says, Satan called a worldwide convention of demons. In his opening address, he said, we can't keep Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from forming an intimate relationship with their Savior. Once they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. So let them go to churches, let them have their covered dish dinners, but steal their time so they don't have time to develop the relationship that they need to have with this Jesus. He said, this is what I want you to do, said the devil. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. All the demons shouted, how shall we do this? 
keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds, the devil answered. Tempt them to spend, 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 to buy, 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 to have to borrow, borrow, borrow. Persuade their wives to go to work for long hours and the husbands to work six or seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day so they can afford their empty lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children as their families fragment. Soon their homes will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear that still, small voice. Entice them to play the radio or the CDs whenever they get in their car to drive, to keep the TV, the DVRs, the CDs, the smartphones, the computers, the laptops constantly going at their homes to see that in every store and restaurant in the world plays non-biblical music constantly over and over again. This will jam their minds and break that union with Christ. Fill the coffee tables with magazines and newspapers. Pound their minds with the news 24 hours a day. Invade their driving moments with billboards. Flood their mailboxes with junk mail, mail order catalogs, sweepstakes, every kind of uh, newsletter and promotional offer, offering free products, services, and false hopes. Cause them to uh, tune in to catchy phrases that will get stuck in their heads so that they have to think about what really is important in life, like, what does the fox really say? (laughs) Keep skinny, beautiful models on the magazines and TVs so their husbands will believe that outward beauty is what's most important, and they'll become dissatisfied with their wives. Keep the wives too tired to love their husbands at night. Give them headaches, headaches, headaches. If they don't love or give love to their husbands, then they'll love someone else. They'll begin looking other places for it. That will fragment their families quickly. Give them Santa Claus to distract them from teaching their children the real meaning of Christmas. Give them an Easter bunny so they won't talk about the resurrection and the power over sin and death. Even in the resurrection, let them, or excuse me, even in the recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from their recreation exhausted, more tired than when they left. Keep them too busy to go out in nature and reflect on God's creation. Send them to amusement parks, sporting events, plays, concerts, and movies instead. Keep them busy, busy, busy. And when they meet for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip and in small talk so that they'll leave with a troubled conscience. Crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Jesus. Soon they'll be working on their own strength, sacrificing their health and family for the good of the cause. It will work. It will work. It will work. They all shouted. It was quite a plan. The demons went eagerly to their assignments, causing Christians everywhere to get more busy and more rushed going here and there, having little time for their God and their families, no time to reflect on the birth of Jesus at Christmas, having no time to tell others about the power of Jesus to change lives. I guess the question then is this, has the devil been successful with his scheme in your life? I have a homework assignment for you because I know we can all, all do better in this area. Here's my homework assignment. This week, to take some time, whether you're single, do it on your own, whether you're with a family, you have immediate family and kids at home, 
Whether you're older, most of us have some sort of a Christmas tree or something that we might put up. If you don't, I'd say light some candles around your house. Make, yourself, make your uh, house dark. Sit around the glow of maybe some Christmas tree ornaments or lights or some things like that. And open up God's word to Luke chapter 2. We read just the first seven verses. I would challenge you to read Luke 2, 1 through 20. And to read and to hear the Christmas story in the quietness of your home. And to hear how God wants to speak to you in the midst of that. Tune out all the other things. Open up your heart to what God wants to say. And dwell upon the mystery and the miracle of what this Christmas season and story is really about. And my prayer is, is as you do that, you'll see the things that really are not important that you may be doing. You'll see the things that really should be raised up and should be of importance. And my prayer is that you will focus on the Christ child like you have never done before. Because God is saying, that's why I came. So that you can come. I took the billion steps to get to you. Now you take the last step to come in my presence.